Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Daniel. This morning we're going to begin a series of messages through the book of Daniel, and we'll be dealing with all the all the chapters in Daniel. It's a great book, and I hope that you'll receive uh, good instruction from it as we look at it together. This morning we're going to read Daniel chapter 1, so if you're turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, follow with me in the Scripture. In the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels unto the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of his king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, a Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he, re he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the, with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should, ye, why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which, which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Pulse is vegetables. Then let their countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the, of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servant. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days." At the end of ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat in the portion of the king's meat. Then Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that, that they should drink and gave them pulse. And as for these four children, God gave them knowledge for, for, and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even to the first year of the king of Cyrus. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you today for the reading of your word. Thank you for this wonderful book. Give us understanding as we look at it today. 
and teach us the lesson that we need to learn, Lord. May we as God's children, may we who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, be convinced that our God is a great God. And we can stand in the midst of trials and temptations, and we can stand for you and know that you will be true to us. Bless this message, Lord, and if there's somebody here who does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today they might trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> From the fall of Adam and Eve when they, went in, when they fell into sin, and throughout all human history, man has been attempting to rule himself and others. God is the one who, sh who should rule us. We all know that's true. But most individuals do not want God to, to rule over them. They do not want to submit to the Lord. Therefore, nations also refuse to let God rule over them because nations are made up of people who refuse to let God rule over them. In rejecting God's rule and His way, they choose their own way and they rebel against God. And we see that today in people's lives. We see it in our nation. Our nation, the nation, the United States of America, is in rebellion against God. There's no two ways to look at it. That is absolutely true. As nations deteriorate, they try to rule harshly over their citizens. That's happening today. And some nations attempt to rule over other nations. Egypt and Assyria tried this to rule over the other nations with little success. Then came the Babylonians who were the beginning of the times of the Gentiles, which Jesus referred to in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. The times of the Gentiles will continue through the coming seven-year tribulation period that's coming upon this earth, the seven-year tribulation period after the rapture of the church. That's spoken of in the book of Daniel and also in the book of Revelation. It's the time when Gentiles will have dominion over God's chosen people, the children of Israel. Even while Gentiles have dominion in this earth, God is still the one who is sovereign. And his will is being accomplished on this earth while men are ruling on this earth. We're told that in Daniel chapter 2. If you look at Daniel, you have your Bibles open there, verse 21 of chapter 2. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So God's in charge of setting up kings and taking them down. So even somebody, if somebody comes into a leadership position that we don't like, that we don't vote for, it might been, have been God's will to put them there for a particular purpose. God knows what he's doing. Also, Daniel 4, we've looked at this passage different times in, in previous messages. Look at verse 17. Daniel 4, verse 17. The matter is by the decree of the watchers and the, demand of, and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basis of men. So God's in charge. So you can say that God's, that God's in charge on this earth in that sense that he overrules. Now, there's coming the time, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago in the message on the millennial reign of Christ, that Jesus Christ is going to rule on this earth for 1,000 years. He's going to be the king. His throne's going to be in Jerusalem, and he's going to do everything right. And we who know the Lord now, who will be in glorified bodies, 
we're going to rule and reign with Jesus for those thousand years. That's called the millennial reign of Christ. But we're not in that kingdom age yet. But we are in an age where it's true, the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. God's will will ultimately be done because he is in charge. Now, the book of Daniel is a wonderful book of prophecy. And in it, we learn that God knows what's going to happen before it happens. That's hard for us to understand sometimes, but it's true. God knows what's going to happen in detail before it happens. God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, we find it, that God reveals to Nebuchadnezzar there's going to be four major kingdoms that's going to rise and rule over the world, in, in most of the world. And those will be Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar was the first king of Babylon. He was, the, the Bible says, the head of gold. Then there would be the Medes and the Persians. Then there would be Greece, and then there would be Rome. God said that before it ever happened, because God knows what's going to happen. And then he said, those kingdoms will all be destroyed by God, who will establish his kingdom, which is that thousand-year reign of Christ, on this earth, and that kingdom will never be destroyed. We have that promise from God. God has predicted it. And since God, what God has predicted in the past came to, came to be, then we know that that's going to come to be as well. And so God is the one who's going to be victorious. Now, God revealed to Daniel that at the end of those, that final kingdom, there would be one who would come who would make a covenant with Israel. And then in the middle of that, that, week long, that week of years covenant, seven years, he would break that covenant with Israel. We learn later from passages such as Matthew 24, 15, 2 Thessalonians 2, 14, or 2, 4, 1 John 2, 8, or 2, 18, and Revelation 13, 6, that this is the coming Antichrist who will rule on this earth. But, but Daniel reveals that God is sovereign and he'll be, he'll be victorious in the end and that Antichrist will come to his end and God will defeat him. Therefore, we can say this, we can draw this conclusion right at the beginning, that it's absolute folly to fight against the Lord. If you have not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have not yet come to realization that Jesus is the one, is the one who's going to win in the end. If you're still following the will of the devil, you're still following your own way and will not submit to Jesus Christ, it's absolutely foolish for you to do that because God always... It, everything God predicts always comes to pass. And it will come to pass that God will win victoriously in the end and the devil be defeated and all of his enemies will be destroyed. And so it's really foolish to follow the devil. It's foolish to follow yourself. And the wise thing would be, would be to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that liberal theologians, those are people who study the Bible, but they don't really believe the Bible. And uh, you've maybe read about some people like that. There are churches today that are pastored by people like that. They read the Bible, but they don't really believe the Bible. And so liberal theologians, it shouldn't surprise us that they, they have been against the book of Daniel. They've done all they can to, to discredit the book of Daniel. That They deny its prophecies. And they deny the supernatural interventions that God made for men, such as uh, saving the three Hebrew men from the fiery furnace. They deny that. 
They deny God saving Daniel from the den of lions. They deny that. They deny the supernatural, and therefore they deny that God can predict the future. They, the future. they do not believe God knows and reveals the future, and they do not believe that God acts in supernatural ways. They don't believe in a supernatural God. Therefore, they say that the book of Daniel was not written by Daniel. And they say this, the book of Daniel, rather than being written like we believe in, in 500, about 537, 38 B.C., they believe it was written in 165 B.C. They believe it was, been, it was written by someone who could look back and see that there was the Babylonians and there were the Medes and the Persians and there were the Greeks and there, now there's coming the Romans. They, they can see that and so they write it as, as if it was prophecy and yet they know it already happened. So they, in other words, they believe the book of Daniel was a fraud. Now I can say with all assurance, the book of Daniel is not a fraud. That Daniel was a real prophet and Daniel prophesied of things to come, but God told him, told him that. And the main reason I know that is in the book of Matthew, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who's perfect, who never made a mistake, never does anything wrong because he's God. He said that Daniel the prophet prophesied these things. He says Daniel was a real man. Daniel lived. Daniel was a prophet, and he wrote the book of Daniel. Now, if Jesus says that, I believe Jesus. I don't believe any of the liberal theologians. I'm not impressed with their degrees. I'm not impressed with their so-called knowledge because they disagree with the Bible, God's word. You see, man does not want God to interfere in his life. Man does not want God to interfere in his plans, his pleasures, or his future. He does not want God to do that. And the same is true today. As it was true back in those days during Daniel, and so it's been true up to this day, and it's true today. God gives life and uh, values children, and yet man today, many people today say that it's all right to kill the baby in the womb, to abort the baby, because they don't believe that that baby is a gift from God. They don't believe that God is the one forming in the womb. And so they just abort the children. It doesn't bother them. They don't consider God. God instituted marriage between man and a woman. The Bible tells us that in the book of Genesis. And yet today they approve same-sex marriage as, as if it's okay. It's not okay because it's against the word of God. God instituted marriage between man and a woman, but they don't believe that. God established two genders, male and female, Genesis 1:27. In the beginning, God created man and uh, uh, Man and he created male and female. God did that. There are not many genders. No, there's two genders. But men today are rebellion against God. They don't want to believe God. They don't want to agree with God. They want to rebel against God, so they come up with all these things. Years ago, we would never even dreamed of anything like this. And yet today, it's become accepted, and people are against you if you speak against that. But God says, no, there's two genders, male and female. God instituted the family, the father, the mother, and children. God instituted the family. And yet today, people are opposed to the family. Government actually honors women who do not, who do not have a family like that and actually have children out of wedlock. And uh, they don't intend to get married because they want that money from the government. And the government 
promotes that because they really don't believe what God says. And the Black Lives, uh, uh, Black Lives uh, Matter <laughs> movement, they, were against the, they are against the nuclear family as God sees it. Why? Because man opposes God. He always has and he is today. God instituted government for, keep, for, for, the, for law and order. And God says in, in the book of Romans chapter 13 that God instituted government and governments to, to reward the, the, the person who, who respects the law and does what is right and to punish those who don't. Today it's just reversed. And so many times the criminal is rewarded and the innocent person is, is condemned or punished because they do what is right. You see, it's all flipped upside down because man is opposed to God. God tells us to fear him. And God says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So where should wisdom be found? Where should understanding be found? It should be found in our universities and our schools. But what does the world today do today? They say, no, God doesn't have any part in the, in the schools. Kick God out. No Bible, no prayer, no God. And what do you have? Godless institutions who try to tell, tell man how to think and how to reason and all of that, and yet God is not allowed. And God says the fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. So you can graduate from a prestigious university and have degrees uh, a foot long behind your name, and God says you haven't come to first base when it comes to wisdom if you do not fear God. But everybody is in rebellion against God today. I mean, most people are in rebellion against God today. God says that sexual relations outside of marriage is sin. Today, it's very popular, accepted, even encouraged. That sexual relations outside of marriage, they consider it normal. They consider it's the way that you get to know people. It's, they consider it okay because you need to do this before you, have, before you marry so you make sure your marriage is going to work. God says no. God says sexual relations outside of marriage is sin. And yet man just disregards what God says and goes his own way. God says the purpose of life is to glorify God. Man says the purpose of life is to satisfy himself or to satisfy humanity. And uh, that's their purpose in life. God says there is one way to heaven. What does man say? No, there are many ways. Just so long as you're sincere, it's all right. You can be a Buddhist, you can be a Hindu, you can be whatever. It's okay, you'll make it to heaven as long as you're sincere. God says no. God says there's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Therefore, Christians are not accepted in this world. Christians face the current, which is going a different way than they buck the stream. They go, the, the current of the world's going this way. Christians are going the other way. And so it's normal that there be resistance. Christians can expect that. The world will try to conform you to their mold. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. That means the world will try to conform you, make you like it, make you think the way they think. But God says, no, don't do that. So Christians can expect resistance. You can expect confrontation. You can expect 
persecution. The Bible says it like this, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you love him and want to live for him, it's guaranteed that you will suffer some persecution for your stand for Christ in a world that wants to go the very opposite way than the Lord. But it's been that way from the beginning. Satan tempted Eve, then Eve tempted her husband, Adam, and he sinned. And then shortly after that, their first child, Cain, killed his brother, Abel. I mean, it was just didn't take long, and sin began to have a great influence over men. Then the world got so bad after several years that the Bible says there were only eight people in all the world that followed God. It was Noah's family. God said it was so bad on this earth that he had to destroy all of humanity, and he did that. Literally, he did that by the universal global flood of Noah's day. God destroyed all humanity except those that were on the ark, Noah and his family. Why? Because the whole world was going against God. That's the way it was going. And, that, and then not long after that, after Noah got off the ark and they began to populate, what did they do? They all gathered in one place and they built this tower to the, and to the heavens to make a name for themselves. And God had to come down and confuse the language of the people. And so they were scattered throughout all the earth. Different languages are formed. And there came all the different uh, uh, people's groups. I started to say races. There's only one race, human race. And uh, all these different people groups and all the different colors and all that came from God confounding the language and spreading people all over the earth. Why did he do that? Because man did not want to follow God. God, didn't, God. So God had to do something about it. So the people rebelled. And, it, and so if you, had, if you as a Christian today, you must determine, what are you going to do? Are you going to live for God or are you going to live for the world? You must determine in this godless society, are you going to cower in fear? Are you going to submit to the flesh? Are you going to compromise? Or are you going to be a strong Christian for Jesus Christ? We must decide. And the decision comes down to this. How great is your God? How great is my God? How great do I think he is? If I buck the current, if I don't go along with the world, is my God great enough to help me? And the decision we make about, the, about that, the, our answer to that question will determine what we do for the Lord. Is he great enough that we can trust him? Is he great enough that we can trust him for victory? Is he great enough that we can choose him over the world? Is he great enough that we'll choose to fear him rather than feel the, fear the world? Is he, in great, is he great enough that we can entrust our future to him? And particularly when thinking about young people. Is your God great enough that you can entrust your future to him and say, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do, not what the world wants me to do. I'm going to do what you want me to do, not necessarily what I want to do. Is God great enough for you to make that choice and to say, I'm going to serve the Lord? Well, it all depends on how great in your mind is your God. So I've entitled the message that this morning, How Great is Our God? Well, in in Daniel 1, we find that Daniel and his friends were faced with the same thing that we face today. 
we face the question, will we obey God? The answer to that question is is determined by how great you think your God is. Now, let's look at this account in chapter 1. First of all, we're going to look at the circumstances that Daniel and his friends faced. Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, this was predicted, here's prophecy, this was predicted at least 115 years prior by Isaiah. And Isaiah said it, that this would happen. In Isaiah 39, let me read just a few verses there. It's also recorded in 2 Kings 20. But let's look at Isaiah 39, verses 5 and 7. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. You remember the account, what happened? Hezekiah had been sick. Then he got well because he prayed to the Lord. And then the... uh, But anyway, the Babylonians came to see Hezekiah. And uh, Hezekiah was opened up all his storehouse. He showed them everything that he had. And the Lord said to Hezekiah, that was, that's, well, when when kids were growing up, we told them not to use this word, but I use it every once in a while. That was stupid. (laughs) But he did, he showed them. And so Isaiah said to Hezekiah, I want you to know the day is coming. These Babylonians, they were not a world power at that time. These Babylonians are coming back, and they're going to take everything that you showed them. And God, and he predicted that. So Isaiah said that would happen. And so in Isaiah chapter 39, he says, Behold, the days come that all, all that, that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. 115 years before it ever happened, Isaiah said it would happen. Well, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it happened. And the Babylonians came, and they, and they came to Babylon, or they came to Jerusalem, they besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. Notice that the Lord gave Jehoiakim. The Lord allowed the enemy to defeat God's people. The Lord did that, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So here comes Nebuchadnezzar, and he besieges the city and takes over the city, and not only takes things out of the city, but takes the things out of the house of the Lord and puts them in his God's house as sort of a a token saying, my God's bigger than your God. And that's the way they fought. And then God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands and and, uh, all those vessels. And then also he gave into Nebuchadnezzar's hand some of the choice men of the land. And those included some of the choice men of the children of Israel. And the Bible says that that Nebuchadnezzar wanted children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. In other words, when he came into the land, he looked for the best of the people. He didn't go down the street corner and find the guy whose uh, pants are hanging down past his, well, anyway. <laughs> he didn't go down to town and find the guy who was on the corner smoking pot or anything like that. He came and he found the, the best of the young men there. 
the men who were skillful in wisdom and understanding and the good-looking people taking care of themselves, people who could stand the king's palace. He looked for the best. And among the best in the children of Israel, he found these, Daniel and his three friends. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were among those children of Israel, and he, and he brought them in. And then they did something else. A circumstance they faced was they were in a strange country, under a strange uh, ruler, taken away from their home, but they also were given food to eat. I mean, it was the best they had ever had. It was food that the king would eat from the king's table and drink that the king would drink, the king's wine. They had the very best. And here they are in a strange country, but they have the very best. And so he gives them that to eat. And then he does something else to them. He changes their names. And Daniel, whose name meant God is my judge, he changed it to Belteshazzar, which meant Bel, a false god, will protect his life. Hananiah, whose name means God is gracious, he changed to Shadrach, which meant a worshiper of a moon god. From Mishael, he changed his name, which meant God is without equal. He changed it to Meshach, devotee of the goddess of wine. He changed Azariah's name, which meant God is my helper, to Ab Abednego, which means a servant of Nego, another false god. So four men, probably teenagers, in a foreign country, against their will, away from family and friends, and now slaves to a ruthless king, he is given a diet against their beliefs, and their names are changed to try to force their allegiance unto false gods. They are greatly outnumbered, and the question is, will they believe their God is greater than their circumstances? And we face the same today. Many times you're in circumstances which aren't good and things are against your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you sort of stand alone and you have to determine, is my God greater than my circumstances or am I going to cower in fear and get along, go along to get along? Am I going to compromise or am I going to stand strong? Well, we looked at their circumstance. Now look at the commitment they had. The commitment of these young men, Daniel and his three friends. First of all, they, they had a determination that they would obey God and they would stay strong in their faith in the Lord. We read that in verse 8. It says, now Daniel, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now face on that table that they set before them of food, were things that they don't, the, the, the Mosaic law told them were unclean. They could not eat these things. And now they're in a foreign country. They're away from family and friends. They're away from the priests that they, were, that they would go to the temple and to worship the Lord, they're all those things. They were away from that, and they, they're alone, and all this good food to eat, but they knew God said, don't eat that. What are they going to do? And then they places before them the wine that the, that the um, king would drink, the best of the wine. What are they going to do? 
And so their determination was strong and says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now I believe the other three purpose the same because in verse 12 he says, Daniel says, prove thy servants. In other words, these men agree with Daniel. I imagine they would. These are the same men that we find out in chapter 3 when they're told to worship that false god. They stand there very conspicuous as the only ones that will not bow. Out of all those thousands of people that are bowing to this false god, these three men would not bow. I mean, they stood out like a sore thumb, and yet they would not bow. Now, so these men probably have the same character that Daniel had. They purposed in their heart they would not defile, them. They would not defile themselves. Now, this was no doubt determined earlier in their life. I imagine they had faced smaller temptations earlier in their life, and they said no. And young people, you have not yet faced a lot of the temptations of the world. You need to determine early in your life, I will not. I mean, wouldn't it be good that if some of the young people today that we have here today, we come, to, we meet them, say, 20 years later, and they're close, they're thir- late 30s or maybe close to 40 years old, and they could tell you, I never, I never drank wine, beer, liquor, or anything like that. Now, how can that ever happen for them to determine their heart? I'm not going to do it. Let me tell you something. I have lived for 79 years, and I cannot think of one good thing about alcohol. Not one good thing. I've asked others. They can't tell me. One good thing about alcohol. So why not just say no? Daniel said, no wine. No wine. Why, wouldn't it be nice if, wouldn't it be great if some of these young people several years later could say to you, I have never smoked you see, that's something I never, I never could quit smoking because I never started. Wouldn't it be good to say, I never did that? Wouldn't it be good to say, I never took illegal drugs? I never did that. I never, I never experimented in that. I never smoked marijuana. I never did any of that. Why, why can't our young people come to the realization that they need to make decisions today so that later they can say, I never did that? We need to be able to purpose in our heart that we're going to obey the Lord. And so he says, prove thy servants. And so they, were, they determined in their heart they would do what is, what is right. Daniel considered himself a peculiar person. Because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 14, the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself. Exodus 19, verse 5, he told the children of Israel, they are a peculiar treasure. The the word peculiar doesn't mean odd, even though you will be odd in this world, but it means you're special. It means you're a private possession of the Lord. It means the Lord says to you, you belong to me. You are are peculiar. You belong to me out of all this world and the many, many, many who do not know Jesus. You belong to me. And so Daniel purposed in his heart, I belong to God. And I'm not going to do that. So then we, saw, so we see their determination. Then we see something about their demeanor, especially Daniel. The Bible says in verse 9, 
Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. I mean, the guy who was over, t- over them, who would tell them what to do, they conducted themselves in such a way that they were not abrasive. They were not judgmental in the sense that they just put them, their, their people down all the time. Sure, they could stand for what's right and say, this is right, this is wrong. That's the right kind of judgment. But they weren't harsh and brash. They were just humble servants of Jesus Christ who loved people. And the prince of the eunuchs, who was not a believer in any way, he just grew to appreciate that. And he actually had a love for them and an understanding of what they were saying. And so he was willing to go to bat for them and try to help them out. You see, his, their demeanor was a good demeanor. They were stayed true to the Lord, but they were not brash about it. They loved the Lord. They were sincere, and everybody knew about that. And so because of that, they, he was able to give them favor. And so the prince of the eunuchs agreed with them and said, all right, we'll, we'll go along with you. We'll just give you vegetables to eat and water to drink for 10 days to prove yourself. Now, this showed their dependence upon God. What were they willing to do? They were willing to put their God to the test. And they're willing to say, God, we won't do it. And we trust you so much that we'll tell the prince of the eunuchs, you just give us 10 days. We trust God to make up the difference. We trust God to make it very evident that, that we can do this we can be what you want us to be in service and all that and not compromise our faith in the Lord. And so they said, give us 10 days. So 10 days, they went on a 10-day diet of vegetables and, 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 uh, and water, and that 10-day diet continued the rest of the time as well for the three years and, on, and beyond that. And so they proved themselves. Why? Because they depended upon the Lord. The Lord they trusted the Lord. That's what it takes for us. If we're going to buck the tide, if we're going to stand for what is right when everybody's doing what's wrong, we have to have faith in the Lord to say, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to pay the price. And I know that you're going to make it turn out all right. I trust you, Lord. And that's what they did. Now, let's look as we close today at the the conclusion of all this. We saw the circumstances they were under. We saw the, the commitment they had to the Lord. And now let's look at the conclusion they enjoyed. After 10 days, they were healthier than all the others. The Bible says in verse 15, And at the end of 10 days, their countenance was fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. So all these people who ate all this greatest food and drank the king's wine their health was not nearly as good as those who did what God told them to do. Also, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom and gave Daniel understanding in visions and dreams. Look at verse 17. It says this of them, And for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And so God gave that to them. It wasn't they learned it. God gave it to them. God honored their faith. 
God made the conclusion come out to their benefit because they did what was right. And then also notice this. After three years, they were brought before the king Nebuchadnezzar and he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers in his realm. Verse 20 tells us that. You see, the king said, three years we're going to test these people. So they had a 10-day trial, and it went well. So they said, all right, you can continue that for three years. They did it for three years, and at the end, the king was just astounded by their wisdom and their understanding and everything. And he said, you are 10 times better than all the rest. And so then we read verse 21. It says this, and Daniel continued even to the, to the first year of King Cyrus. Now, that's an interesting thing, interesting statement. You see, Daniel continued to the first year of Cyrus. How long was that? Seventy years. Now, God had said in Jeremiah, which Daniel knew and, Jeremiah, and, and Daniel had read, because Jeremiah preached while Daniel was living in Jerusalem. Daniel grew up under the good king Josiah, and he heard Jeremiah the prophet preach. And Jeremiah said, you'll spend 70 years in Babylon. And God allowed Daniel to continue in Babylon in a rulership position, really, for 70 years. And Daniel understood from what Jeremiah said, look, 70 years are coming to a close. And guess who comes on the throne? It's not the Babylonians. It's the king, it's the Medes and the Persians, and Cyrus is the king. Cyrus the king comes to the throne. Now, Daniel also knew something else. He had read some, another prophet. And in Isaiah chapter 44, he read about Cyrus. 150 years before this took place. God in, in Isaiah 44, I don't have time to look at it today, but you can look at it in Isaiah 44 and 45. God said there would, be, there would come to the throne a man by the name of Cyrus. Nobody knew Cyrus. Cyrus hadn't been born. This was 150 years before. God said his name will be called Cyrus. And he will build the temple in the Lord's house. He'll send people back from Babylon. And so you can just imagine, that, well, you want to read Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and you'll find it happened just exactly like that. And Cyrus was the one who did that. Now you wonder, it doesn't tell us, but you wonder. Maybe the way Cyrus was prompted to do that was because he had a man close to him. His name was Daniel. And Daniel knew the scripture. And Daniel probably got Cyrus aside and says, Cyrus, I want to show you something. Do you know 150 years ago, before you even thought about it, the prophet Isaiah said this, and he read him Isaiah, and Isaiah mentioned his name. And I imagine Cyrus was just, wow, really? Well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so he makes the decree and he lets all the people who want to, to go back to Jerusalem, and he's going to rebuild their temple. Wow. What does that tell me? That tells me the God that, that Daniel served was a God who knew the future. And believe me, he knows the future today as well. 
You see, that's been proved over and over again. God knows the future and he can predict what's going to happen. We know those, those things that we've looked at already in the, in the Bible that were predicted that came about. But you know, God predicted in the Old Testament about Jesus who would come. He predicted that he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. He predicted that he would be born in the, in the town of Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5. He predicted that, there would, that, uh, that he would come, ride into Jerusalem when he made his triumphal entry on a, on, a, on a donkey. And that's exactly what happened. He predicted that he would be betrayed. And that was, that's what happened as Judas betrayed him. He predicted that he would be crucified. He predicted that the, God predicted the words that Jesus would say. In, I think it's Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we find on the cross of Jesus, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus was experiencing our punishment for our sin on the cross. And so, since all these things have been predicted, he predicted that he would be, he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. He predicted that his resurrection. All these things came to pass. So when God says he will never leave us, he will ne- always love us, he will always provide our needs, he will more, make us more than conquerors in Christ, he will work all things together for our good, he will reward our service, he will take us to heaven, we can believe him. Because he is a God who knows what's going to happen and he promises it. And so you can say when you face trials like Daniel and his three friends faced, you can say, my God is great. My God's already promised this. He's going to deliver me. Yes, I can say no. Yes, I can take my stand because God is true to his word. But then I want to close with this. If you're not saved, if you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior. God also keeps his word in that. And he says, he, the, he says in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. With all the evidence that God keeps his word, you can be sure if your name's not in the book of life, you will be cast into the lake of fire. Now, that's very sad in a way, but there's good news. It doesn't have to happen because Jesus paid for all your sin. He took your sin on himself on the cross of Calvary, paid the punishment for it, rose victorious from the grave, and he says, I have a free gift to give you. It's eternal life, and you can have it if you'll put your trust, your faith in what Jesus did for you and call on him to save you. And then you can know, I'm going to heaven someday. Don't have to doubt about it. Don't have to wonder about it. Don't have to hope so. I know I'm going because God says so. May God help us to believe that our God is a great God. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for revealing to us the wonderful truth that you are a great God. You show it in so many ways. But Lord, I help Pray that you'll help us to believe it. And if there's anybody here today who's never trusted Christ, may it be that today be the day that they put their faith in you. Help us as Christians to live victorious life because we believe our God is a great God. In Jesus' name we pray.